So good evening and uh, welcome. Number one, as you know, it's always a privilege for me to be here and share with you. I'm always happy to take time out and be here to help you. That's, that is what I live for, to see people equipped with the truth. Now, um, and, and the reason I thought it was awesome is because, you know, the way that the Spirit of God brings things out, it's always so interesting because, I mean, I was just doing the introduction, the beginning of the, of the manual, and there was just so much stuff coming out already. How many of you remember te- me telling you that if you, if you came here tomorrow, tonight, you would hear about how you could never be cursed? Okay, how many of you are keen to find out about that? Okay, good. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take you kind of into a bit of a journey um, into the Old Testament to show you something there. And then I want to show you what has happened in the New Testament to bring you back to the New Testament perspective. Now, if you are making notes in anything, please always remember to um, read the, New, the Old Testament through the New Testament. And what I mean by that is... That when you read the Old Testament, you have to read it with this in mind, that Jesus has come and He has done something. He has fulfilled certain things. And so when you read the Old Testament, you read it in light of the New Testament, in light of the fulfilled, finished work of the cross. Okay? So um, it's very important that we do that. Otherwise, we will read certain things in the Old Testament and we will think that they're for us when they were actually for them. When we've moved from that to this, and you don't want to do that, okay? Is it fair? All right, please go with me to Exodus. Uh, we're going to read <clears throat> from chapter 12. Um, let's read from verse 29. And um, this is after a vicious series of plagues that God has unleashed on the Egyptians, something to notice is that the Jews were never touched um, in that whole time. Okay, And then obviously um, there's the last one, which is the angel of death that comes and kills the firstborn. How many of you are you familiar with the story? Okay. Now, um, we're going to read from verse 29, and it says this, At midnight... The Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive. Are you with me? Exodus twelve, twenty-nine. It's not on a page. That's why you need a Bible. Yeah. Sorry. How many of you know that um, this is your manual? Okay. So, the Word of God is really often all that's in these. How many of you have noticed that? Alright. It's just neatly put together for you in categories. Alright. Okay, now, I'm busy. I'm going to be dealing with something really major here. And... I really believe that this is going to help you. So, let's go. This is going to be good. Alright, so it says here, 
that from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock, and Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt. Now imagine, you wake up and every single firstborn is gone. That's devastating. Okay? For there was not a house where someone was not dead. That's devastating. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel. So yeah, he is fed up. Right? He is, as we would say, really upset. And he is saying, get out of Egypt. Go. Isn't that right? All right. Go serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said. And be gone and bless me also. Right? So now he is fed up and he wants them to go. And then he says, but make sure you bless me because what's just happened is devastating. Right? Verse 33. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened. Their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks and their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold and jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. Okay, so... Now, Egypt, now, the Israelites are leaving Egypt, okay? And they are plundering Egypt on their exit. So all the gold and all the silver and the jewelry and, the, and all this stuff, they're taking with them. All the riches of Egypt, Egypt, they're taking with them. Do you see that? Would you say that is a blessing to them? Would that be a blessing to them? Those riches. Okay. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sakoth, about 600,000 men on foot, beside women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. Okay, so what I want you to get here is that when they came out, they were abundantly blessed. Do you see that? When they came out of Egypt, they were abundantly blessed. Now, what happens is, as you know, Moses um, gets to the Red Sea. He then goes ahead and um, goes through the Red Sea. They They go on the dry land, the Egyptians get drowned, and they move on. Finally, the children of Israel get to a mountain in Arabia 
called Mount Sinai. Okay? And there is where they begin to see um, many different things happening. One of them is where the law is given. Okay, how many of you are familiar with this story? So Moses goes up on the mountain, and mainly he goes up because the people were too afraid to go up on the mountain. And so they tell Moses, ask God what he wants, and let him tell us what he wants us to do, and we will do whatever he says. And so Moses goes up the mountain, and he speaks to God, and while he is there, something awful happens. Okay? And we're going to read that account. It's in Exodus 32, so just go there. I know that they wandered in the desert for 40 years, and it was only a seven-day journey from Egypt to Canaan. So it couldn't have been too long before they got to Mount Sinai. But there were several things that happened along the way. If you read Exodus, you'll see that um, they had the branch that went into the water because they were thirsty. There was a couple of things that happened before they got to Mount Sinai. Is that okay? All right. It's okay that I don't know, right? I don't have to know that. <laughs> All right. So verse 32, uh, I mean, chapter 32, verse 1. Moses is on the mountain, and the children of Israel have been left with Aaron. Okay? Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods whom shall go before us. For this Moses, the man who brought us up, out of the land of Egypt, we do not know. This man, we do not know what has become of him. So Moses is taking along in the mountain. They think he probably died on the, on the mountain. So now they reckon we need to make another God here. Right? We need a God. So let's make another God. Do you see this? Okay. The man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. Where did they get those? Okay. So here, their blessing is about to become their God. You see this? <clears throat> so all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron, and he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are our gods, O Israel, who brought you up, out of the land of Egypt. So now they've made an object out of the blessing they received, and the blessing they received has now become their God. Do you see that? Now, I cannot tell you how often this happens in life. The blessing that people receive becomes their God, becomes their idol. 
becomes a thing that if they had to lose it, all their world would come crumbling down. You see that? <laughs> Not quite. So yeah, you can see how what the Egyptians had given them on their way out had now become the thing that they began to worship. You cannot afford to allow your finances to become something that rules over you. You have to remember that you are to be in rulership over your finances. Okay? Why did God say to anybody, you shall have no other gods before me? Is he insecure? Does he have to have you worship him? Why would he say, you can't have any other gods before me? Well, that's true. He's a jealous God, but he's jealous for you, not jealous of you. He loves you. So, okay. So, if I say to someone, you can have no other friends but me. Because I'm jealous. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? You'd say it's a bad thing. But yet God does it and we say it's a good thing. Or maybe we're not interpreting correctly what God is saying. You see, what God is saying, I'm a jealous God. Why? He's saying, I am jealous for you. I'm not jealous of you. God doesn't have to be jealous of you. In other words, if I'm jealous for you, then I have a zeal and a passion for you to be everything that I know you can be. If I'm jealous of you, then I want to be everything that I know you can be. Do you see the difference? So when it comes to God being jealous for you, He's jealous for you to be everything He created you to be. Do you see that? God has an intense zeal and passion for you to walk in everything He paid for that you could have. So God is not the one who is holding out on you. God is the one who is finding a way somehow to instruct you that you can walk in everything He wants for you. Now, why would He say you will have no other gods before me? Very simply, it's because there is nothing that has been created up until now or will be created, as far as I understand, that has ever been made anything closer to God than you. So there is literally nothing you should bow your knee to except Him. If you bow your knee to everything, anything else but Him, you are by default operating in witchcraft because that thing was never given authority over you. And so because God loves you, as part of His zeal and passion for you to be everything you ought to be, He would not want you to worship anything that He didn't create for you to worship. Since he created you to be the closest thing to him. He is the only one you should worship. Why? Not because God needs worship, but because he is worth worshiping. Worshiping God is a natural response to amazing goodness. Alright. So, so, so far, I've gotten you to the place to realize that if you take your treasure and you make it your God, then you're doing yourself a disservice because your treasure was meant to serve you. It wasn't meant to be the thing you serve. 
So God doesn't have a problem with you having things. He has a problem with things having you. Does it make sense? Okay. That's why he gave the children of Israel favor to have all those things. But yet, in the end, it ended up that they used them for the wrong purpose. Now, we know what happens in the rest of the passage is God tells Moses to go back down there and to sort these people out. And it doesn't end too well for them. They end up drinking the gold. So <clears throat> you don't want to do that, do you? Okay, so we're not going to do that. So go with me, please, to Numbers 22. Okay, verse 1. Then the people of Israel set out and camped in the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan at Jericho. And Balak, the son of Zephar, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was in great dread of the people because they were many. Moab was overcome with fear of the people of Israel. So the people of Israel were becoming a force to reckon with. And the king, this guy, what's his name? Balak, or Balak, he was afraid of them. So what does he do? He goes and he looks for a person that has a reputation of cursing people. Alright? And if you drop down to verse 7, it says, So the elders of, of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the fees for divination in their hand. And they came to Balaam and gave him Balak's message. And he said to them, Lodge here tonight, and I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. Now, please notice that Balaam was not part of Israel. Balaam was a known divinator. But yet Balaam knew the Lord. Isn't that amazing? Because he says, I will come and tell you what the Lord says to me. And we know he's talking about God because if you read the rest of the story, which we will, you'll see that he's talking about God. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam and God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? And Balaam said to God, Balak the son of Zephyr, king of Moab, has sent to me, saying, Behold, the people has come out of Egypt, and it covers the face of the earth. Now come curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to fight against them and drive them out. And God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. So what did he say? You shall not curse them. They are blessed. So Balaam rose in the morning and he said to the priest of Balak, Go to your own land, for the Lord has refused to, to let me go with you. So the princes of Moab rose and went to Balak and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. Once again, Balak sent princes more in number and sorry, yeah, princes more in number and more honorable than these. And they came to Balaam and said to him, Thus says Balak, the son of Zephyr. Let nothing hinder you from coming to me. For I will surely do a great honor 
And whatever you say to me, I will do. Come curse these people for me. But Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the command of the Lord my God. Balaam's God was God? It wasn't just Israel that had God as God. Isn't that interesting? To do less or more. So you too, please stay here tonight, that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. And God came to Balaam at the night and said to him, If the men have come, if the men have come to call you, rise, go with them, but only do what I tell you. So Balaam rose in the morning and saddled his donkey and went with the princes of Moab. Now, what's interesting here is, every time Balaam goes to sleep, God shows up. Wouldn't that be cool? You can't tell me that you can't have something that a pre-born again person could have. Just saying. That's free. Not charging. Verse 22. But God's anger was kindled because he went. Isn't that strange? Didn't God just tell him to go? But it was because of why he was going. Okay? He didn't... He was going to go and find a way to help him. Okay? When God had said, no, you will not curse them. And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as his adversary. Now he was riding on a donkey, and his two servants were with him. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road, and a, and a drawn sword, okay, in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the road and went into the field. And Balaam struck the donkey to turn her into the road. And the angel of the Lord stood in the narrow path between the vineyard with a wall on either side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed against the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall so that he struck her again. Now this donkey is trying to save his life. Then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in the narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she laid down under Balaam, and Balaam's anger was kindled, and he struck the donkey with his staff. This guy's getting angry. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. Now, let me ask you this. If the donkey's mouth is opened, then what was it before? Ah, oh, no, well done, guys. That's really good. Yeah, if a donkey's mouth is closed, is it possible that all the animal's mouths might be closed? That was free, by the way. The Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? I mean, imagine, the donkey is talking to him, right? I mean, that's Shrek and donkey all over again. Okay? And Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have made a fool of me, I wish I had a sword in my hand, for then I would kill you. Now he's so angry, he answers the donkey without thinking that the donkey is speaking to him. <laughs> Right? And the donkey said to Balaam, I, Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden all your life long to this day? Is it my habit to treat you this way? And he said, No. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam. So if Balaam's eyes were opened, what was it before? Right. So just because someone has the power to divinate, 
or to see, that doesn't mean they always see. Right? Okay, so you've got to understand, like, here is some really interesting things going on here. Mouths that are shut, that are opened. Eyes that are shut, that are opened. Okay? Right. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed down and fell on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey three times? Behold, I have come out to oppose you because your way is perverse. So yeah, we see why the angel came to stop him because he was going to twist things to try and gain something from this. Okay? The donkey saw me and turned aside before me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely just now I would have killed you and let her live. Right? Then Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know that you stood in the road against me. Now therefore, if it is evil in your sight, I will turn back. And the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but speak only the word that I tell you. So Balaam went on with the princes of Balak. Okay, so you're getting the picture. All right? Balaam was someone that had real power. Right? He was a true divinator. His reputation was that if he cursed someone, they were cursed. If he blessed someone, they were blessed. That was his reputation. And that's why the king of Moab sought to find him. Okay? And we can understand why he was so powerful was because he had a relationship with the true God. Isn't that right? So, the only people who really have true power are those who are connected to God. You with me? So if you curse someone, are they cursed? So don't do that. Because the Bible says, do not curse but bless. Now if we curse instead of blessing, then are we not doing exactly what Balaam was doing here? Are we not making God's way perverse? So that's not something we should do, right? Okay. Now, I'm going to sum up a little bit of the rest of it because it's quite lengthy. Otherwise, we're going to be reading through quite a bit of Bible. All right? You can go read it by your own, by your own time. But what I want you to see is that um, Balaam goes out with the king and he goes to, I think it's um, four sites. Four different sites. Each time... He goes, they make a sacrifice on seven altars, okay? And he goes up and he speaks to God about cursing Israel. And every time he goes there, God sends him back to Balak with a blessing. So I'm going to read one of those accounts. Let's read the final one. It's in um, Numbers 24, verse um, 15. And he took up his discourse and he said, The oracle of Balaam, the son of Boah, the oracle of the man whose eye is opened, the oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. I see him, but now not. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Seth. Edom shall be disposed 
Sir also, his enemy shall be disposed. Israel is doing valiantly. And one, of, sorry, and one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of cities. Then he looked up on Amalek and took up his discourse and said, Amalek was the first among the nations, but its end is utter destruction. And he looked on Kenite and took up his discourse and said, Enduring is your dwelling place and your nest is set in the rock. Nevertheless, Cain shall be burned when Azur takes you away captive. And he took up his discourse and said, Alas, who shall live when God does this? But ships shall come from Ketim and shall afflict Azur and Eber, and he, stir, and he too shall come to utter destruction. Then Balaam rose and went back to the place, and Balak also went his way. Okay? So now, in this last part here, what is Balaam doing? He's actually prophesying the destruction of these other nations, of how it's going to happen. Are you with me? All right? Now, if you go to chapter 24, we're going to read from verse um, 3. I want to show you what Balaam said about the children of Israel. Okay? And he took up his discourse and he said, The oracle of Balaam, the son of Boah, the oracle of the man whose eyes opened, the oracle of the man who hears the words of God, who sees the visions of the Almighty, falling down with his eyes uncovered. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your encampments, O Israel, like palm groves they stretch afar, like gardens beside the river, like aloes the Lord has planted, like cedar trees beside the waters. Water shall flow from his buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters. His king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. God brings him out of Egypt and is for him like the horns of a wild ox. Now, how many of you have been confronted with the horns of a wild ox? Okay? Now, it's an experience. You do not get past the horns of a wild ox unless you know how to maneuver. <laughs> okay? So when... When it says here that God is like against, is for his people like the horns of a wild ox, it says he's protecting his people, he is looking after his people, he's looking out for them, right? He shall eat up the nations, his adversaries, and he shall break their bones in pieces and pierce them through with his arrows. He crouched, he laid down like a lion, and like a lioness, who will rouse him up? Blessed are those who bless you, and cursed are those who curse you. And Balak's anger was kindled against Balaam, and he struck his hands together. And Balak said, to ba Balak said to Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies, and behold, you have blessed them these three times. Okay? So yeah, we have every time, okay, Balaam goes to curse the children of Israel, he ends up what? Blessing them. Okay? Now, this blessing, he keeps saying this blessing. In one of the discourses, God actually says, Am I a man that I should lie? Have I not blessed them? And if they are blessed, I will not curse them. And he keeps announcing over and over again that they are blessed. Now, are the children of Israel blessed? Are they blessed? So is God saying, I have blessed them and I will not curse them? Is that what he's saying? All right, now, let me ask you, was their covenant better than yours? Are you sure? Then why do you act like their covenant was better than yours? Because, yeah, 
the most powerful divinator could not curse them. The one man who had the reputation, if he cursed someone, they were cursed. If he blessed someone, they were blessed. This guy could not curse Israel. <clears throat> but he found a way. What he did was, he went and he got some of the Moabite women. And he brought them into the Israeli camp. And the men took foreign women and they broke the law. And when they broke the law, what did they invoke? Isn't that right? So the only way Balaam could get God to act towards them in a contrary way was to get them to disobey God. Do you see that? When for profit, he led people astray. Okay? Is it, are you with me? So go with me quickly to Jude. It's only one page. It's right before Revelations. The book of Jude. And we're going to read... From verse 10. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand... And they are destroyed for all their day like unreasoning animals understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. So what did they do? For the sake of gain, they made money their God. For the sake of gain... To Balaam's error. What was Balaam's error? Balaam's error was that for the sake of gain, he led people astray. Are you learning something from this? Okay, so I'm trying to show you how this thing connects, and I'm about to bring it home. So go with me to Galatians 3. We're going to read from verse 10. Are you there? Galatians 3, verse 10. All right. This is the only way a believer can be cursed. For all who rely on the works of the law, are under a curse. For all. How many? Are you sure? Who rely. The word rely means to depend upon, to put your trust in, to find your justification by. All who rely on the works of the law. When it's talking about the law here, it's talking specifically about the law of Moses. How many of you know that you are not under American law? 
You're under South African law. Do you know that you will never be under American law unless you go to America? You could live your whole life free from American law. Do you know that? The law was never given to save you. The law was given to show you that you needed Jesus. Okay? For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. This is a fact. It's a statement. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Notice, this includes all 317 plus 10. Six hundred and ten laws. So all of them. Are you with me? It includes all of them because it says all that is written in the book of the law, and keep them. So if you want to try keep that, be my guest. It's going to be difficult. Okay, does it make sense what I'm saying? It says, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, it is evident. Listen to what Paul says. It is a fact. It is proven. It is uh, an established reality. It's evident that no one is justified before God by the law of Moses. No one. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. The law is what? Not of faith. Right? Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Now Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. So listen, if there is a curse in the law, then has He redeemed you from that curse? Now in the Old Testament, Balaam could come, and get the children of Israel to sin and invoke the curse of the law. In the New Testament, Jesus has already borne the curse. I know this is too good to be true. I get it. You all look very happy tonight. It must be Friday night or something. Are you, are you with me so far? Now, that doesn't mean, I'm not saying that the law is bad or evil or anything like that. Don't, don't, give me, don't misunderstand me. The law is good. The law and the prophets testify to the righteousness that has been made available to you apart from the law. For God has done by sending Jesus what the law could never do. Weakened by your flesh. Okay? So your flesh was the problem. God's law was good. Okay? Your flesh was the problem. But he needed to do something to fix the problem with your flesh. And that was to give you what he promised Abraham, which is the very thing that would bless everybody. And what's that? That's right. His spirit. So watch what it says here. The one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham. Are you blessed? 
Does it say here that those who are in Christ Jesus get the blessing of Abraham? Was Abraham blessed? Okay? So you get the blessing of Abraham. Among many other blessings, you get the blessing of Abraham. Okay? So that the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Praise God, I'm a Gentile. Right? So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Do you see that? So that we might receive what? The promised spirit through faith. You do not receive the spirit by trying to keep the law. You receive the spirit by putting your trust in what Jesus has done on your behalf. And the minute you try... And do something to earn what God has freely given you. The minute you try and do that, guess what happens? You fail. fail. The minute you try and do it by your own strength, rather than doing it in conjunction with His Spirit, you fail. Okay? So it's not self-reliance. It's Holy Ghost reliance. It's God-reliance. And you only get that when you realize that you and him are in union. You are one. So that when you go somewhere, when I go somewhere, if I go anywhere, I expect that whatever is in my heart is not just mine, it's God's. Are you with me? I I don't separate myself from God in that I go, okay, is this God's thought or my thought? I just go, yes. Does it make sense? When someone asks me a question, sometimes God answers them. And it sounds like me. And, and then they think I'm smart. And I'm like, I know where that, got, where that came from. It wasn't me. <laughs> but praise God. Right? Do you understand? Because I'm one with Him. So it's not a matter of, okay, now I'm listening to God. or Now I'm not listening to God. Now it's me. Now it's Him. No, 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 no. It's, you're so mixed up with God, you don't know where He begins and you end and you end and He begins because you're one with Him. That's awesome. Okay? So when you're one with Him, right, and and you understand this union, if God gave you Himself, did He withhold anything from you if He gave you Himself? So God was so abundant, so rich, so over-the-top wealthy that He gave Himself, which means He gave everything. God gave 100% why should we give any less? God made it so that if you trusted Him, you could never be cursed. No samgoma, no puffy wee thing can curse you and it stick. And the minute you believe it can, You've just dimmed the lights. Notice, the presence of darkness is the absence of light. So all you've got to do is put your light off. The fastest way is to try to keep the law. You put your light off really quickly. Are you with me? And understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying the law is bad. And I'm not saying you should live like a devil thinking you're on your way to heaven. Okay? I'm not saying that. I'm saying that our focus must be Jesus. 
When you see Jesus reflected in you, then you see him as he sees you or even as you are seen. Does it make sense? What you behold, you what? You become what you behold. If you behold the law, the law will constantly show you where you fall short. When you behold Jesus, Jesus and the Holy Spirit will constantly remind you that that's who you are. Yay, God. So I know this is really exciting for you, you know, that you can't get cursed and all that. I mean, I really see everyone jumping up and down. And How many people do you know believe that they are living under a curse? Christians. And yet I've just shown you that children of Israel under an inferior covenant, how difficult it was for a king who could pay anything to get them cursed. And then most Christians are scared about little pamphlets where some gourmet says, oh, we can curse your family. And then sickness comes to their house and they go, oh, it must have been a some gourmet cursing us. Ooh, they're so powerful. No, you just believe that it can, so you let it. Instead of saying, no, not in my house, get out. Simple. You know what the word dominion means? Hey? It means ruler. It means master. It means king. God has made you king. Jesus didn't say just because it sounded good that he was king of kings and lord of lords. He said it because it was true. Because you are the lord that he is lord over and you are the king that he is king over. Start acting like one. Start acting like a son instead of a slave. Because a child, a son or an heir, as long as he's a child, will act like a slave even though he is the owner or the rightful inheritor of everything. This whole curse thing is important because I believe that a lot of the time, it's not that we doubt that God has blessed us, it's that we doubt whether God's blessing towards us can reach us because we're so cursed. Okay? And another thing that goes with that is your family's misfortune in finances is not your inheritance. Just because your uncle had a bad financial life doesn't mean you have to have one. Are you with me? It's not something that's in your family. And God is not visiting the past's sins on you. I can prove it. Ezekiel 18. Read the whole chapter. From beginning to end. Read the whole thing slowly. I promise you, if you read it slowly, you'll realize... There is no such thing as God visiting the sins of the Father on the children anymore. It's done away with. Number one, your gene pool goes back to God. God doesn't carry any curses. He carries blessings. Number two, the Bible says that God has blessed you with every spiritual blessing. That means He has said so many good things about you that there's nothing left to say. And if God said it, it's true, right? 